Let's pray. Father, my prayer is that you would make yourself so great in the eyes of your people as you really are that the mission remaining for us before you come would seem eminently doable in your great power. I pray that you would take small-mindedness away from your people, all paralysis of weakness and uncertainty and fear, and that you would glorify your great authority over the nations. And secondly, I ask, Lord, that you would call to the peoples, especially to the ministry of teaching, people in these congregations this weekend, call them decisively. You have been working in many lives for years and some for months and some stunningly in the last few days. And this message and Jason's next week will be the catalyst of the Holy Spirit to say yes. So do that now, I pray. By the power of your word, through your spirit, I ask in Jesus' great name. Amen. There's a link between the text that I'm going to focus on in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. There's a link between that and the text in Acts from which the title for filling these cities, 25 by 25, was taken. We'll look at it shortly, the link. And you know, most of you, I think, that this is message number six in the messages that are intended to throw the windows open so that light can stream on, on the table where the map of the next 10 years is spread. And on that table, there's a, a big map with four plotted strategies that you've heard repeated. Namely, number one, that personally and corporately we go deeper and deeper in the beautiful DNA that is written in that little green book that I received in my hands for the first time, what, second message that Jason gave. And I took home, sat down on my brown leather couch Sunday afternoon and read it like a miser digging gold and laughing out loud with joy over the biblical realities that this church stands for. That's number one, and I'm happy, really happy about that. Number two, talking to you South people, to get it done and build 24-7 third anchor campus on the 35W Corridor down in Lakeville. You've been very patient, love you, God bless you. Gonna get this thing done. That will make me more happy. I got a lot of happiness in store in the next 10 years. You're gonna see. So that's number two. 
get that thing built. I'm going to help do that because I belong to this church. Number three, they get increasingly amazing. Number three is to plant 25 churches by 2025 in this city and across the country, in addition to the 14 that are in the TCT, Treasuring Christ Together Network, that you're going to vote, I just heard, to vote to change Kenny's job description so that that becomes increasingly doable. He's going to be a pastor for church planting. That's a great step. And lastly, number four, this is the most radical, the most costly. Probably it will cost some their lives. We're going to go to the hardest places of the world and find peoples who not just unreached, but unengaged. Nobody is trying to reach these people. They have no access to the greatest news in all the world. Don't you love to walk up to people on the street and say, do you know the greatest news in the world? What a great lead-in. Especially if they live in a place where clearly they don't, never have heard of it. So this is message number six in that series to throw the windows open, get some light on that map of accelerating the mission statement of spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. That's what I'm supposed to do. And now it's the first of two messages, me this week, Jason next week, on the global dimension of this vision for the next 10 years. So there's a link between verse 20 of Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and the verse in Acts from which the title, Fill These Cities, was taken and I chose this text for that reason. But before I show you the link, let's get the text in front of us. Jesus had died. We're at verse 16, just bringing us to the point. Jesus had died for our sins. He had been raised by the glory of the Father to be the Lord of the universe just days ago. He aims now to give a commission of what we're supposed to be doing until he comes, again, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on all those who do not believe the gospel. And he has a, a very dangerous commission to give us. And then he's going to go back to the Father. He's going to sit down on the throne. He's going to reign over the world and get it done. Judas is dead by his own hand, so there are only 11. And you see that here. And Jesus meets them on the appointed mountain, verse 16. And when they meet, they worship him, all of them, even the doubters. That can happen, you know. They worshiped. Some doubted. 
What is going on? I don't have a clue what this means. They were really confused. Dead. It's over. Alive. Oh, it's not over. Jesus came and said to them, I'm at verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, don't miss the wild, wonderful, radical structure of these verses. He is about to say to them, that they're supposed to go to all the nations, not political states like Germany and China and Argentina, but rather all the peoples like Revelation 5, 9, tribe, tongue, people, nation. There's thousands of them, hundreds unengaged. And he's about to tell them in verse 19, go and turn them all into followers of me, obeyers of me, worshipers of me, believers in me. Tell them there's only one way. Tell them the way they're on doesn't work, is wrong, will lead to destruction. Go tell them that. He's about to say that, and that's outrageous. It was outrageous then, It is perhaps, maybe not, more outrageous in our relativistic, every religion is as good as any other religion day. And so before he says it, he tells them he has all authority in the universe. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I wouldn't send you to the nations if I didn't have authority over the nations, if I didn't have power over the nations, if I didn't have a right to the nations by virtue of creation and redemption, I wouldn't send you. You're not idiots. You're ambassadors. And I own, I own them all. You're not idiots. Now go, because I have all authority everywhere on this planet. I have rights. I own them. I died to save anyone who believes in all those people. I will save them. So go. And when a person comes to faith, which they will, because I mean to get this done, when, when a person comes to faith, baptize them, and make sure that when you baptize them, they understand what's going on. That when they go down under that water, their old, unbelieving, rebellious, Adamic self is dead. Because they died with me. When they believed, they were identified with me and they died. When I died, they died. And then when they come up out of that water, you make sure they understand they are rising into newness of life and I'm pouring out my Holy Spirit on them and they are mine, they're gonna live forever. Make sure they know that and make sure they know this. 
Neither you, the missionary, nor they made that happen. God the Father planned it. Jesus the Son accomplished it on the cross, and God the Holy Spirit is working it in their hearts, therefore baptized them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and make sure they know what you're talking about. So go do that. I have total authority, and I mean to get it done. And then comes the sweetest, I am tempted to say, promise in the Bible. There are too many sweet promises to make that claim with any authority, but it doesn't get much better than to have the ruler of the universe say to you, not just, I'll be with you to the end of the age, but I will be with you always. to the end of the age, like right now. Do you believe that? Like, thank you. Thank you so much. I had a picture in my bedroom growing up of a 18, 19-year-old kid in a storm with his hands on the wheel of the ship. Jesus standing behind him like this. I grew up with that. 64 years, this has been true for me. And I just want to bear witness to every person in these rooms. That's a true promise. Twenty-six years ago, I marked the end of my first ten years here. And I preached from 2 Timothy 4.17 on April 22, 1990, these words, The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles that they might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. And I was, and I have been to this day, rescued from the lion's mouth who prowls around seeking to devour me every day. Because this promise is true. And it's especially designed for missionaries. It really is. I mean, it's true for all of us, but it's especially designed for missionaries because it's linked up with all authority is mine, so go. It's clearly a missionary promise. It's clearly your special thing. (laughs) If anybody has a right to take hold of that and say, that's going to be true for me every moment of my life, it's those who are going to do this going. Yes, it is, and I'm happy for you to have it especially, but I have it. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So for 33 Well, what, 36 years now I've been part of this church. And you need to know that Pastor Emeritus feels really good to me. Not chafing under that title. Doesn't have any responsibilities at all. (laughs) I don't get to do anything. 
accept worship with you and be a part of fill these cities 25 by 25 with my prayer, one sermon, and lots of money. And it is an awesome thing to know He's never failed us. He's been with us. He will be with us till He comes. It's a beautiful promise. So if you sense God moving in your life in recent days, months, and now in this service, something is starting to stir with regard to the nations and being uprooted and going to a different place, I do mean for that promise to be very encouraging to you. And so does Jesus. More on that shortly. Okay, now let's focus on verse 20, finally. And the link. I told you there was a link. I really meant it. It says in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, if you want to go there with me, turn to Acts chapter 5. If you have that blue Bible open from the, from the pew downtown, it's 913, page 913. So Acts 20, 525, the apostles had been imprisoned uh, for preaching Jesus. We see that in verse 18 of Acts 5. The angel of the Lord has, re- has released them miraculously. So we hear this report in verse 25. Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. They're supposed to be in prison, and they're teaching. So they bring them in again carefully, lest they be stoned. And we hear the charge that the high priest makes against them in verse 28. We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, and you have filled Jerusalem. You filled this city with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Teach, teach, teach. Don't you men realize we don't want you to teach? We told you, stop teaching. Verse 42, here's the result of their warning. And every day in the temple, And from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. Why not? Because he told them to go teach, right? This is part of the mission. Go teach the nations. Teach, teach, teach. That's your job. That's why they're doing it. In spite of all the warnings, they're going to be teachers and teach. So let's linger here. Teaching them. Who's them? Who's them? The nations, all of them. So the point of this text is don't just go make converts of the nations. Go make people who obey everything I said. 
teach them. Teach them to observe all that I commanded you. This is a teaching mission. Whatever else it is, it's a teaching mission. Go teach, teach, teach everywhere among the nations. Ephesians 4, do you remember what Paul wrote? He said, Christ gave, gave to the church pastors and teachers so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Churches and Christians without teaching remain children. And children are weak and vulnerable. They get blown over easy. Christ did not give a commission to that end. He gave teachers. Get this teaching job done. Go teach the nation to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus gives teachers to his church, and that's what he's doing right now in these rooms. I have not prayed this in vain. In this room, right now, God is doing this. Jesus, the risen head of the church, is giving teachers to the nations right now. Only he knows who you are. I don't. But you're here. And there. I have a prayer nook in my study. And this lies open on my prayer bench every day. Operation World. It's about seven years old now. Hope they, hope they do a new one. Hope they have a planned new one every ten years probably, but good enough for now. This is all the nations of the world, politically speaking, and then lots of people groups underneath them. We're in Russia right now, are, and uh, I pray over a people every day. You know what you find, and if you love TLI, training leaders, you've heard this before, you can open this book almost at random and hear the same prayer request over and over again. Papua New Guinea, page 672, leadership training is a top priority. Moldova, page 592, leadership training and discipleship are still the greatest needs. Mongolia, page 596, developing Mongolian church leaders is the, is a strategic need and the key to strengthening the church. Mozambique, page 607, training church leaders is an urgent priority, probably the most strategic spiritual issue in the country. In other words, besides unengaged peoples, there are under-resourced peoples, and they need teaching, 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 and God is calling some of you to do this. I have two more things to say. I want to draw out two implications of of one word in the first half of verse 20. Teaching them to observe, keep, obey, observe 
all that I have commanded you. In other words, he, he did not say, teaching them all that I have commanded you. He did not mean, go fill the heads of millions of people with an awareness of what the historical Jesus taught. It's not what he said. He said, go teach them to do it. To observe all that I commanded you. The devil has all the commands memorized. The Great Commission is not designed to bring the nations to the level of the devil. The devil knows everything Jesus taught better than any Christian does, and he hates it all, and he obeys none of it. That's not the Great Commission. So, the Great Commission is teach them to observe. Now, that has two massive implications. Let's just take them one at a time, and we'd be done. One implication. All that I have commanded you is a lot of commands. And you're supposed to not just tell them what they are, but do it in such a way that they are transformed into the kind of people that obey them and are willing to die for them. Don't just teach them, teach them to obey. Now, here's, here's a, a, an implication. This is going to sound a little complicated, so put on your thinking caps. One of the commands of Jesus is included, one of the commands in all that I have commanded you is the command to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Did you lose, did I lose anybody there? One of the all that I have commanded you that you're supposed to get them to obey by teaching is to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's huge. You think that through and the implications of it, it's huge. Here's what it implies. New churches among the peoples of the world do not just need well-taught members they need indigenous teachers that come from being well taught. And that means they need people who, without depending on missionaries, can find the true meaning of biblical texts and show that meaning to others with compelling explanations and convicting applications. That's what biblical teaching is. So here's, here's the most radical implication of that, or most, most crucial, I think. You know, don't you, you have, you've had enough experience, there is a way to teach the Bible or anything else that keeps the learner dependent on the teacher. 
it is used, that method is used all over the world. To our great slowness in world evangelization. Perch perpetually dependent. And there is a way to study the Bible and a way to teach the Bible that turns people into self-replenishing teachers. We don't need teachers anymore. They are the teacher. They're the source. It's coming out of them. They see what's there in the book. And they see it with such glory and clarity that when they have a gift of teaching especially, they're able to explain it in a compelling way and apply it to the consciences of the people in a convicting way and power happens in a people. And they're not dependent anymore. Tell me another thing to write down so I can go say it in my village and come back and tell me another thing to write down so I can go say it in my village. Deadly. No way. We, this, this command to teach all that I have commanded you includes teach them to teach all that I have commanded you. And therefore, it is implicit in this command that teachers are to be created. And they are not to be people who are perpetually dependent on other teachers. They're not real teachers if they do that. They're just pipes. Now, at this point, I get excited. If you thought I've been excited, I get excited about the incredible providence of God in the relationship between Bethlehem College and seminary and fill these cities 25 by 25. And here's the reason. One of the most unusual commitments of this school is a commitment to teach how to study the Bible and teach the Bible, and not just the Bible, but Plato, Shakespeare, Nobel Prize winning Bob Dylan, <laughs> go figure. There is a method of teaching that all of the faculty embrace. Just pick one out and go ask him. You, what Piper said, did he consult with you? Who all embrace, who they're going to handle documents, especially the Bible, in such a way that when they're done, when we're done corporately with students for several years, our full expectation is they don't need us anymore. And they will be able to go to peoples, congregations, peoples, and create teachers who don't need them anymore because they have been taught a way of seeing, a way of finding true meaning in texts on their own so that they don't need a commentary to tell them, so they mouth it and become second-handers all the way to glory. That's a glorious thing God has done here. That's a glorious thing, that a methodology has been put in place in the last uh, 10 years or so in, in that institution that is tailor-made to be the best missiological method of Bible teaching in the world. My personal conviction. 
but I've just given you my reasons. There are perpetually dependent younger churches all over this globe because a method of teaching has been absorbed there, whether from their own culture or from missionary culture or wherever, that is not able to independently find authoritative, true, unshakable meaning in texts for which you're willing to die and you can proclaim with clarity and conviction in the lives of your village. And I believe that God has raised up this school, small as it may seem, for a disproportionate impact for the nations in the kind of methodology that we believe in with all of our hearts. So that is implication number one that I wanted to draw out of the word observe. And here's the last one. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. If he had only said, teach them all that I have commanded you, it would have been hard. I wrote a book on this. And I gathered together all the imperatives and implicit imperatives in the four Gospels, and there are about 500. <laughs> I, just, I thought, good night. Got to distill all these 500 implicit commands of Jesus and make them able to be transferred into the heads of, of uh, the nations. That would be hard. That's not what he said. He said something way harder. Way harder. Like impossible. Go change human, selfish, arrogant, demon-possessed people into Jesus lovers, Jesus obeyers who keep everything he said. Go do that. That's what he said. So you might think on first glance that, <laughs> look at that list of commands. That's never going to succeed. We're never going to do that. Like, take up your cross and follow me. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Rejoice and leap for joy in the worst persecution. Fear no one or the one who's able to destroy soul and body in hell. Worship God in spirit and truth. Always pray and don't lose heart. Don't be anxious about anything. Humble yourself and be the servant of everybody. Don't hold any grudges. Strive to enter by the narrow gate. Exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on the earth. Don't take any oaths. What God has joined together, do not separate. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Let your light so shine before men they can see all your good deeds. Make disciples of all the nations, etc. So we're going to do all that. We're going to take all that and we're going to create people who do that or we fail. That's the mission. Which, understandably, you might say, I don't think we're going to succeed. And you might be right, except or unless you pointed out to me, which you should, I think you left out a few commandments, like the first seven 
the most basic commandments Jesus gave, which enable you to do all the others. What would those be? A little class here. What would those be? I'll give them to you. Number one, Jesus said, you must be born again. Number two, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I've got rest. Number three, believe in me, the fountain of living water. Number four, repent of all your self-reliance and sin. Number five, love me above all others as supremely satisfying. Six, listen to me. My words are life. Seven, abide in me like a branch in a life-giving vine. Every one of those seven commands, which are included in all that I commanded you, every one of those seven commands says in essence, I know you're helpless and cannot do this. I know you cannot not only teach others all that I said, but teach them in a way that they lay down their lives in obedience. I know you can't do that. Therefore, come to me. Trust me. Listen to me. Treasure me above all others and, and abide in me as the branch and I will, I will make it happen. So, I close. Again, God has been at work in some of you hearing this word, teach, 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 and that has sunk like an arrow into you. And he is stirring you to move your present situation and be positioned globally with your ability to teach because you know you have been well taught and have much, a thousand times more than most people have in the world. And you are ready to teach or just as likely at this moment, others of you have something in your heart like a, a burning to be taught so that you could teach or dig meaning for yourself and help others do the same. Get this burning. I, I want to do that. I want to be able to see the Bible like that. I, and I would like to move from my seeing to help others see, to help others see. Where can that happen? It, that might be who you are. And I just want to close by encouraging you. you if, you move on this, if you move on this trajectory, you'll never be alone. You will never be alone. You will never be on your own to do it. Jesus will be with you as your best friend everywhere. He'll be in you as a spectacular power of replenishment. 
and he'll be over you with all authority in heaven and on earth. Yes, he will. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord of the harvest, send your laborers, I pray, into your harvest, teaching, teaching, teaching. In Jesus' name, amen.